Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Renaissance. How you guys doing? Good. Good. Great. We want to also say welcome to our online family. Enjoy your hot cocoa and shovel snow here in a minute. Uh, anybody have to get up and shovel snow this morning, or did you just like, yeah, okay? How many just got out and just got in the car and were like, I'll take care of it later? Okay. All right. All right. So I've got a 11 year old that loves the the snow coming from Texas. So this is, I mean, this would shut us down for. You know, as long as, until it melted at noon. But the thing is, shut, shut down, right? Uh, and so this, the, just loving it. So I, you love snow. So she went out and cleaned off the van. This is awesome. It's probably the only year that this is going to work. But uh, so we got some free labor this morning, cleaning off the van. And I came here early. She's up, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. So, yes, win for parents, right? So uh, we... Um, how, the, your Christmas, how was it? Right? Mine was pretty good. We, we started uh, here in town. We opened, got up and opened up our gifts and did the, the whole thing. Anybody have that, that Christmas gift only on Christmas morning? Anybody have that, that rule? No? Nobody's like a strict... Okay, they're the ones that are at home having their cocoa. So for you, that's my heart. Like you have me. Like you don't touch a Christmas present until Christmas morning. Just so you know, you guys are all wrong. Uh, but this year we did relent. We uh, Christmas Eve, the kids got to open like their, you know, grandparents and, and extended family gifts and their pajamas, of course. You know the, that whole thing. And uh, so then, then we we Christmas morning we have have the, have the Christmas presents and they we ate Christmas bre- breakfast and all that 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 fun cool jazz and then we head on over to. My parents' house, they, they now live, uh, well, we now live, they, they didn't move, they've lived there the whole life, three hours away, they live in Iowa. And so Christmas Day is my father's birthday. I know, right? Like the worst day of the year to have a birthday, unless you're Jesus, of course. Uh, so anybody, December birthdays, right? Like you get birthday gifts in the Christmas paper, right? You get the combined gift, here's, your, here's birthday and Christmas. Right, liars! Like it's not birthday and Christmas. No, just held one back. Just gave it to them for their birthday, and uh, so it, it, we did all the, the Christmas with them. Celebrated the the birthday stuff, and then the next morning we're we're hanging out, and my kids find a couple Bibles on the the shelf, and these are like my parents' Bibles from when they were teenagers, and one was dated like right this archaic right this this ancient document from antiquity, 1974. And some, <laughs> most of us in the room are like, oh my God. Yeah, and I mean, they were just like, couldn't believe this is so old. Look at this, this is, this is like ancient. Look at, oh, I'm surprised the pages are still together. Just couldn't believe. And, you know, I had the date in there, 1974. That was the, the year my dad got saved at a tent meeting. Anybody go to a tent meeting back in the day? And uh, so they got the, he got saved at a tent meeting, had all these bookmarks 
from that, that and from other places, marking those dates. And remember books when we used to, so you used to have these things, bookmarks that you put in, mark your, your pages. And so they, they were just like amazed. My mom's book, it was like a little later, a little, little further into to the future, 1981, but still, oh my gosh, so old. And preserved between the pages of this ancient document was an envelope that you used to receive in a mailbox with a stamp on it that people used to write back and forth to each other. It was like, it was, we called them letters. <laughs> and so my mom had, had been a part of this, uh, come to find out, uh, this, this Bible group with ladies. And one year it was her birthday. And so they, they got all these le- letters from childhood friends and longtime friends to write um, different, you know, just memories about her and send them to them in a, in a letter, right? So they, the kids are just like amazed at, at this letter. And this ancient writ of cursive. Like, what is this? this? Is this Greek? What is this foreign language? Right? We could cripple an entire generation with cursive and manual transmission. Done. <laughs> Crippled. Over. Move on. The world is ended. Right? So, so they, they uh, are, are reading, reading through these letters, and there's a couple things that they, they um, come across that, that just don't, they don't... Dad, I don't understand. Like, cruising down Main Street... Blowing a tank of gas, right? That was one of the mem- memories. Cruising down Main Street, blowing a tank of gas. And when their song would come on the radio, right? Some of these things, like, you, kids don't understand. Like, what, you had to wait for a song to come on the radio? Why didn't you just play your song? I don't understand. Why would you, it's your favorite song. Why would you wait on the radio? I hope they watch this later. Uh, I'm in so, so much trouble. So, I'm the dad. I'm not in trouble. I'm in charge. So they were, that's right. Thank I got an amen. So they were, I mean, they were like, God, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. Like, you, you drive, why would you just drive back and forth, up and down? Right? In my town, it was Main Street. Here it was what? Eldo, Eldo, going down, back, and I'm sure you, the same thing. Every small town in America, back and forth, up and down, just hanging, hanging out with kids, waiting until your song would come on the radio, singing it at the top of your lungs. And so, some of these things they didn't get. I was like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is back then. Like, you would get, for Christmas, maybe a pet rock. Anybody remember those? Like, with bedding in the box with air holes so that the rock could breathe. You know, and, and <laughs> she had a pet rock. Right? And it's a, like, and a manual to tell you how to take care of this pet rock. Anybody remember? remember they, were, they were blown away. 900 numbers. What are 900 numbers? It's like, yeah, like fan clubs and other things. And, and anybody called Dion Warwick to find out your, you know, the psychic hotline, 395 a minute, like all those things. Like we know them, but they're, they're like, what? 900? No. The, the, the phone that's tethered to the wall, right? You can only walk so far. And like, you're trying to get away. You have a private conversation. It isn't happening because you're yanked back by the cord. Or those first cordless phones, you know, with those telescoping antennas. <laughs> so, like, all of these things, and we could go on and on about the things that we grew up with that are just so foreign. It's like a foreign language to this generation, to our kids. And, and today we're going to look at this letter, and, and, we, and we look, we read Scripture, and we don't, 
we don't consider that the, the scripture was written to a specific culture that we don't get, that we don't understand. Right, scripture was, in this specifically today, this letter that, that Paul written called, a, called an epistle was written specifically to a town called Ephesus, to the Ephesians. And it wasn't split up in, in chapter and verse. And so we, we read those scriptures and we just read them in English. They weren't even written in English. And we think that maybe we can stop and pause and realize that there might be some hurdles to overcome. There might be some things that we don't just get at, at a cursory reading of it. That, now, now, reading your Bible, just reading your Bible is awesome, is great. You want to start there, read it, read it often. Find, in fact, there's a couple things that, that I, I want to share with you. If you've got a pen, if you've got your phone, you carry, don't carry pens anymore, I know. Um, TheBibleEffect.com and TheBibleProject.com. Now, these are going to help you dive in and overcome some of these challenges. TheBibleEffect.com, TheBibleProject.com. Uh, they also have YouTube channels. And um, The Bible Project actually has an app called Read Scripture. And it will take some of the, these videos from The Bible Project and put them in with your daily reading plan. And so once you start a new book, it'll give you the uh, kind of the overview and maybe a little bit of the historical context of this book. And so it's, it's just really extremely helpful in, in understanding where the writer, who the writer is, where he's coming from, uh, what the audience was. Um, so some of these passages, they just really, they come alive when you understand some of the nuance, some of the context that the original audience and the original readers would have understood. So Paul traveled right on these missionary journeys, and he would share the gospel message of salvation through faith in Jesus. And this was, this was pretty radical. And people would receive Christ, and they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, and miracles and signs and wonders would accompany Paul's preaching and his teaching and the sharing of this gospel, this message of faith in Jesus. And these churches then would begin to sprout up, right? And he would continue to communicate to these churches through these letters called epistles. And these epistles, they would, they would often be shared and circulated, right? They wouldn't just hold on to them. It'd be like special and they would circulate them around. And these churches weren't, weren't buildings like this. They were meeting in homes. And so they're passing this, this, these letters around, these writings from, from, from Paul who, who actually would spend several years in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of his stopovers and this was one of his longer stays. He would spend... Time in Ephesus, about almost three years. Um, amazing how much Paul did when you think his longer stay was about three years. But even in ruins today, you can see that Ephesus was this beautiful, sprawling port city. Right? It, was a, it was of great importance and is located in modern-day Turkey. And, and many of the trade routes would, would go through this town of Ephesus. And immigrants would bring their goods and their gods. So this was this multi-ethnic culture. And if you can imagine this melting pot, right, this melting pot of cultures, which isn't too far off for us to imagine. And there was at least 50 different gods and goddesses that were worshipped and represented. And there was this, uh, they called it the Agora, which was like this marketplace. And to even enter the marketplace would be an act of, of worship because you had to make an offering, mainly to, to Caesar, who was also considered a god. He had to build his own shrine. Right? And, and most of the people, it was commonplace and, and celebrated that you wouldn't just pick one God and say, this is my God, but that you would worship many gods. And they were very aware of the spiritual realm. So much of the, much of the actual economy would revolve around the worship of these gods. 
but the most, probably the most prominent was the goddess Diana or Artemis. Uh, many would come and they would make pilgrimages to uh, worship her. And this huge, elaborate temple was erected in her honor, right? And, and it was uh, actually one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so here, it, I hope I'm, I'm building just a little bit of a picture of what Paul was encountering when he was going uh, and spending this, this time in Ephesus. These people, they were, they were hyper aware of the spiritual world. They were especially the dark forces, right? And, th- and they would practice magic and superstition and potions and st- they would buy, spend their money in, in, on statues and trinkets and this is what, what fueled a lot of the economy. And they would do this because they, they, weren't, they lived in fear and so they're looking for protection, right? The, the Artemis or Diana, she would offer uh, fertility and she would offer protection and so all these other gods, they, were, they had their own, their own niche and their own thing. And they, they were like, okay, I'm going to get this over here, this over here. And, and hopefully, hopefully I'll be protected from these evil spirits. Because it, it was commonplace for them to encounter people who were demon-possessed. And so they wanted protection. They were very much aware that the spiritual world was real. And I think... Um, even in other countries today, we would say that they, they are very much aware of the spiritual world, world that is swirling around them. And so when we, in Western culture, in civilized culture, really kind of, uh, many of us put the, the spiritual realm and the spiritual world on the, the back burner, maybe that should really cause us some pause and, and say, okay, what, what things are really the spiritual world that we maybe we're just setting aside and, and medicating or calling something or... You know, we're not recognizing it for what it is, then maybe in doing that, we've given it more power. And we're really still living in fear. It's just we're just not calling it an evil spirit. We're just not calling it for what it is. And even after all this, right, they're still living. They, they've spent their money. They've bought their trinket. They've, they have their statues, and they're, they're still in, in fear because they, they're worried that what they've done still, it, it's not enough to please or appease these gods. So maybe you remember reading through Acts or hearing a, a message on Acts and where the Christian uh, message is being preached, right, with such effect that it was cutting into the prophets, right? This in, in Acts 19 uh, is specifically when Paul was in Ephesus. And uh, so, so many people were becoming Christians and they were abandoning the, the worship of, of the God, gods, especially Artemis, that this guy named Demetrius, he's a silversmith. And he was this... Uh, made rich. He made all his living, but he made a, a good living making these, these silver shrines for Artemis. And he would gather other workmen in similar trade and they cause a mob and a riot. And this mob would rush to this outdoor amphitheater, which seated a couple thousand people. And uh, they would rush to there and they would chant for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they were, this riot and this mob was all about this Christian faith that was taking over. And they're like, we got to put a stop to this. And Paul wanted to address the crowd and he wanted to share the gospel. And, and so many of his followers and friends were like, you can't do that. They are going to kill you. So they kept him from addressing the crowd. And Paul would uh, eventually um, leave there, Ephesus. But it's in Ephesus that also the, the seven sons of Sceva, if you remember that story, they tried to replicate what Paul was doing as Paul is casting out these demons or these evil spirits. And remember what the evil spirit said to the seven sons of Sceva? Again, it's in Acts 19. It says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, 
but who are you? See, they were trying to cast these evil spirits out in the name of Jesus and the, 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 the demon-possessed man through the evil spirits. Like, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but, but who are you? And he jumps on the seven sons of Sceva, and he, he would beat them and leave them naked and wounded and running out of the house. Right? They were very aware and very concerned about the evil and the dark spiritual forces. And that's actually uh, where we will eventually wrap up today as Paul concludes his letter with instruction on how to face this evil. But the epistle, Ephesus sorry, is, where, uh, is where John the Apostle would write his gospel. Right? Ephesus, actually, we see Ephesus a lot when we look at the historical background. Right? So John is writing his account of Jesus' life and ministry. Later, he would write his, his own epistles or his own letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And he would later die in Ephesus after receiving, right? He, he was uh, part, you're like, wait, I thought he was on the Isle of Patmos. So did I, right? And so I'm looking at it. And he dies in Ephesus. He was given a pardon from the Isle of Patmos. And he uh, would later die there. And there's a church that was erected over his grave. So weird. Grave, dead people, let's make a church. Um, so this is where Paul would later write in Ephesus, he would write to a young Timothy, right? And so we would have these letters. We have them. They're first and second Timothy. Timothy would later die in that same amphitheater, right? Remember the Demetrius riot years before, right? Well, this is where Timothy actually addresses the crowd and they take him and they do what they would have done to Paul and they kill him. And so Timothy dies a martyr's death because he's preaching this message of Jesus, this gospel message that stands in stark contrast to the culture there to all these other gods. And so this gospel message is what Paul's letter of Ephesians is opened with. He opens with this. It's this mystery that for all of history is waited patiently for this Jesus to be revealed. So in Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. See, it's the first time, thanks to Jesus, that people other than Jews are welcomed into the family and they're adopted as sons and and daughters. So in light of this mystery revealed in Jesus through the gospel story, how, how how do we live, right? Now that we've gained access through Jesus, so Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, he's answering this question. And he begins to lay out in Ephesians how we're going to interact now as believers in this world that they're living in. And how, how they're going to interact in their neighborhood, in their communities, in their families. So, so unless you're Jewish, the first part of Ephesians is supremely important right, and immensely comforting. We have the opportunity to become family of God. God had a covenant family. It was the Jewish people. And that covenant agreement was actually, it actually blocked us access. Right? For most everybody. Mainly for you and me. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're Jewish. But because of Jesus, we are all able to be grafted in. To be sons and to be daughters. And to be part of this now multi-ethnic family. Think about this multi-ethnic melting pot. This diverse culture. And now it's not just the Jews who were actually lived outside of most of Ephesus because of the many gods. And the Jews believed in one God. So there was a lot of business and a lot of trade and a lot of things that they were unable to do. And now the Christians too. And so Paul is writing and addressing some of these things. 
But Jesus fulfilled all the laws of that first covenant. And the walls that blocked access have now been removed. Ephesians 2, 14. It says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So now, we're this multi-ethnic family. We're family. We are family. I'll start. I'll stop. Okay. Okay. So I keep going. Keep going. But Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, and it isn't much later that... It, well, I'm sorry, it is much later, much, much later, that we actually break it into chapter and verse. And, and, and in some ways, do a huge disservice, right, to the, the letter that's written. Now, in, in other ways, it's, it's, it's convenient, and it, and it helps to study. But if you, if you take it chapter and verse, and you take a verse of the day, and you don't read it in context, there's so much that can be lost. We're going to get to wives submit to your husbands, right? And if, you just, if that's all you read, well, okay. Right, so this this is so chapter three is where Paul begins his prayer, or continues a prayer, and he's he's absolutely blown away. He's blown away that he would have this unique role. He just can't believe that God would be using him to to, to speak this gospel message, this good news. And even as he writes this, he's in prison. All right, he, he's, he wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they're all, we call them the prison epistles or prison letters, and he's writing to these churches that he had spent some time in, those followers that he knew well. And so he's writing as he's waiting to appeal Caesar, and he's so thankful that he is witness to this phenomenal growth of this family. Right? And I totally get this, because I, I, I have the privilege of being a pastor. It's, it's just a, an unbelievable honor to get to do what I do. It's hard at times, it's, it, it's stressful, but when you get to see people come to know Jesus or, or grow in their faith, like there's like, there's, for me there's, not, there's nothing better than when people get a glimpse of who they are in Christ and who God made them to be and they begin to walk in everything that God has for them. It's, it's an honor, it's truly an honor to to be a pastor. And so this is the heart that Paul is writing from. And he prays this for the believers that, that they would be strengthened by God's spirit to simply comprehend the love of Christ. Right? To comprehend the love that Christ has for this new multi-ethnic family. Now remember, this is, this is to the Ephesian believers. And Ephesus is this melting pot. So people are, they're in different societal classes, they're in different roles, they're in different ethnicities. But in chapter four of this letter, he tells them that they're one. He speaks to unity. He says, you're one body, unified by one spirit, that you have one Lord, that you have one faith, one baptism, and that you believe now in one God. But this wasn't, this wasn't done to erase them as individuals. Even though they are to be one and to be unified, they're still seen as unique and different, still unique in function. So we are very diverse, we're very distinct in our giftings and our passions, but we come under and we are empowered by one God and one spirit and one head that is Christ. So in fact, he uses this, this metaphor of the body. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, if you want to look there. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head 
of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So here we are, we're this multi-ethnic family because of Jesus, and we're to be unified. We come from different backgrounds, different places, and yet we're supposed to be unified, but not in a way that sacrifices who we are. We don't have to sacrifice who we are as individuals with our unique giftings and our unique passions. In fact, that's what intensifies the need for you to be you and for me to be me, because we get to build And we get to grow as each part is doing its special work and as each part is working properly. So this demands that we look different, that we act different, that we walk different. Different than than before we met Jesus. There should be a significant change and different than the world around us. And so he's speaking to us, but he's speaking also to this Ephesian culture. And and understanding the culture, it helps us to understand a little more deeper insight into what he's saying, right? Paul describes us uh, to taking off our old man, right? Like an, like an old, old self, like a piece of clothing that you would take off and putting on a new self. He says there has to be this transition. I recently had this, this guy, tell, he talked to me about these old pictures of himself that he would have, and, uh, or if he saw anybody that have an old picture, right? Remember when we had those like, that you would hold and not on your phone? Right, so these, these old pictures that, that represented who he was, that, that, that he doesn't look like that anymore. He doesn't dress like that anymore. And he would almost go to blows over destroying that picture. He didn't want any recollection. That was before Christ. I don't, I don't want any, any, any remembrance of that. And, and so he's, he, you know, it, that just kind of, for me, shows this picture of somebody like saying, okay, I, I, want, I want to look nothing like that. Taking off, ripping off that old self. For me, I, t- I, I forgot to take off the old self and I put on a new self and now I'm like 2X, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, I, so I'm working daily to take off that old self and I think we can all, <laughs> we can all say that, that we're, we're taking, any New Year's resolutions, anyone? So we're taking off that old self and, he, and here's the exchange. Here's the exchange that Paul's identifies. Instead of being somebody who, who's identified and known for, for lying, that you would be known for being a person of truth. Instead of, of being identified by your anger, right, and you're, you're quick to, to anger, that you would be known by your, your peace. Instead of stealing and, and being somebody who is known as a thief, that you would be known for your generosity. Instead of gossiping and backbiting, that you would be known by speaking words of encouragement and exhorting people, instead of revenge, that you would have forgiveness, that you'd be known for your forgiveness. Instead of this misuse of sex, and uh, you would be known for your self-control. Instead of being drunk and using drugs to, be, to have an influence over you, that you would find yourself being influenced by this very spirit of God. So he then tells us, chapter five starts out, be imitators then. Right? As dearly loved children. So listen to the language there. Be imitators as dearly loved children. He's still saying, he's still talking about this family. He tells them to imitate their heavenly father and walk as children in this new family, this, this role in your So walk in love and to submit one to another. We should have this mutual submission. He gives example of these common relationships. He talks about wives and husbands. He talks about children and parents. He talks about slaves and masters and how they are to interact now as Jesus' followers. 
And each of us tend to, to hear those for, with our own filters. Right? We read through this section and, and maybe, like I said, we pull out the verse of the day, right? Wives, submit to your husbands, right? Well, here's the potential problem. If you don't read the section before it, that lets you know, that tells you, submit one to another, then that following encouragement of how to act with wives and husbands doesn't fully make sense, all right? Because wives, all the husbands say, actually, don't say a word. <laughs> don't, don't say amen to that one. Wives, submit to your husbands. But remember, this is, this is mutual submission, one to another stuff, right? Husbands, lead in such a way and sacrifice for your wife in such a way that she wants to love and she wants to respect you. And she wants to submit to you. Wives, respect and submit to your husband in such a way that he wants to love you and he wants to sacrifice for you in the way Christ did. Even uh, children, obey your parents. Okay, all the parents in the house say, right? But it also is talking about, don't forget, submit one to another. Parents, don't provoke your kids to anger. But discipline and love them in such a way that they want to Choose to obey, right? Slaves, what? The Bible is okay with slavery? Not if you read it. Not if we're talking about mutual submission. Not if you, you know, it talks about slaves and how they are to interact with their slave owners. And then it talks about, because that, he's, remember, he's writing to the Ephesian culture. So don't go dirty south on us. Like it's, this is Ephesians. This is the city of Ephesus. And so as he's writing to these slave owners, he's telling them, okay, and now in the same way, just as, as we've talked about how, how slaves are to honor you and, and, and uh, follow, submit to you, now I want you in the same way to submit to them and don't threaten them. Well, can you really have a slave if you don't hold anything over them and you're submitting to them like they're submitting to you and you're treating them, right, with mutual submission? So really, if you, if you read the way what Paul's writing, you can't have slaves. And Paul would later, we'd see as he's writing uh, for Onesimus who was a slave and he's asking for his freedom. So we, we see here even in that relationship that he's addressing it but he's if, if they acted the way that Paul is saying then they, they can't even have slaves. So then the big finale, the final word is this. Ephesians 6 starting verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in, in his might. Put on all of God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Right, think of the culture that he's speaking to. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this Im imagery of the, the whole armor of God, it would have absolutely exploded in the mind of the hearer. Because when we think of armor and when we think of, of soldier, we think we even have army of one, right? We think if we're out there, we're fighting. It's me, it's mano and mano, and I've got to put on this armor so that I can face 
the evil spirits. I can face the dark forces. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against. And so I've got to put on the full armor of God and it's just me. But listen to his letter. He talks about a family that you're now a part of. He tells us now to be unified, that we're all one, but we're part of one body. And he tells us how now we're supposed to interact with walking in love, mutually submitting one to another. And then at the end, he says, you're on your own. Go ahead, put on the armor of God. But I've read it that way. There I am in my armor. I'm ready. But every piece of that armor is Jesus. The peace, the righteousness, the truth, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Every single piece of that armor is Jesus bringing about the victory. And what would have exploded in their mind was the Roman soldier, which Paul was pulling from, every piece of armor. So don't think Sir Lancelot, right? Think Roman soldier. And how the Roman soldiers would fight would be together. And they would form these formations, form these, I think I can say that, I said it. They would form these formations, they would link shields together, and they would stand there together. Sometimes, as they would approach a wall, they would even link their shields so that it, it formed a barrier for those fiery darts. You don't fight alone. You don't battle alone. We are family. We're supposed to stand firm together. I need you being your best you. And you need me. Right? And where you're weak, I'm going to come along and slide my shield right next to yours. And we're going to be strong. We're going to stand together. And in all of it, Christ is bringing about the victory. Through it all, Christ is face, extinguishing every fiery dart of the enemy. Throughout everything, it's Christ bringing peace. Christ bringing truth. Christ bringing righteousness. It's Christ bringing the victory. But I need you to stand with me. And you need me. And we can stand together. We have been destroyed as a church thinking that we can make it on our own. We have lost our ability to truly stand firm when we separate and we isolate. We need each other. Paul calls us a body. pray with us today. God, I thank you. I thank you for guys like Paul who would be faithful to do what you called them to do and encourage us with these, these letters. God, I thank you that, that you have called us into this new family, that we are to be one, be unified and as each part, each member is, is working pro properly. We get to, to build each other up in love and we get to support one another and we get to function so much stronger and so much better. We are better together. God, I pray that you would continue to build on this, that we would understand what it looks like. God, we, sometimes we, we, we haven't been trained. We don't know what to do. We, we've been told that we're individuals, that we're to stand alone. And God, we, we pray that you would show us Show us how to link shields. Show us how to put on that full armor. Show us how to stand firm together while you bring about the victories in our lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 